0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
2: What do you love about music?
3: <laughs> to begin with, <laughs> everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop
4: music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, hip-hop folky Tim Fight sits down with Jim and I to chat and perform songs from his new album. We'll also review new albums by the breeders and metal gods, Disfear. Plus, Greg will add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. You are listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news.
5: We left, compared notes.
0: We had a drink, we had a smoke. She took off her overcoat. I kissed a girl.
4: That's Jill Sobiol with her best-known song, the 1995 hit, I Kissed a Girl. Jill Sobiol, a major label recording artist for a number of years, six albums on four separate labels. Now she's on her own doing a, a unique thing, asking her fans to fund her new record. This is a trend that is becoming more widespread in the music industry in the last few months. Uh, we are seeing little companies starting up, attracting investors to pay for new bands to make albums. The Slice the Pie website has raised $2 million, uh, $30,000 of which went to fund the first fan-funded album on the site, a band uh, called The Alps with a record called Something I Might Regret that just came out a few weeks ago. Now we're seeing Jill Sobule doing the same thing as an independent artist.
3: Greg, Jill Sobiel set out to raise $75,000. She's already at uh, almost 83000 We wanted to go straight to the source on this story.
4: Jill, welcome to Sound Opinions. How are you?
3: I'm good, thank you.
4: So, tell us a little bit about the decision making that went into uh, putting out this new record the way you did.
6: Well, a couple things. First, the thought of shopping myself to another label just seemed so painful. So, a couple years ago, I had this idea of actually trying to do something where it. it was a fan invested uh, company, but I couldn't figure out how to do it, and everyone advised me that that would be a headache. I still want to do that. So, the next step was to get my fans to give me money but in return for something. So I had a polished rock level to platinum uh, weapons-grade plutonium. And And, and so various levels, you either get the free download or you get mentioned on the record
3: or you you get a theme song. Well, this is a brilliant idea, Jill. One of the questions I had, though, was you're still going to make CDs, right?
6: Well, I'm going to do... Various things I'm going to have, they'll be digital and I'll have hard copies, but I want to do something different with the hard copies. Hmm. For instance, I'm having a friend do a graphic novel. Oh, wow. And also, last week I recorded 10 songs, just vocal guitar, and what I'm going to do is put the audio tracks on a CD so anyone can, they can take my voice out and they can do whatever they want with it.
3: What, in your view now, that you've become your own record company, funded by donations from fans, what, in your view, can't you do, or will you have to uh, have help for?
6: um, It's so funny. uh, A local rock station here in L.A., K-Rock, they're kind of the the, uh, top pop rock station, had me on to discuss it and say how great it was, they thought. And I thought, but you know... You guys will never play my c d
3: yeah, right, right, right,
6: because it takes probably five hundred grand to get on your station, yeah,
3: so you need a master of paola,
6: exactly, <laughs> I have to figure out that okay. I, I you know the old days where they just put cocaine under the table, it was so That's much easier. much more doable, yeah, yeah,
4: and more fun. <laughs> Well, this is a fun way of doing the patronage system. I mean, speaking of fun, the, that whole model, uh, which artists have existed on for, for centuries, it must be pointed out. In some ways, it's an old idea that be, being refreshed for for today, it seems Well, Greg, like. wake
3: up. We're on public
4: radio. We exist <laughs> yeah. on that model. <laughs> but was that kind of the inspiration? Like, okay, may, you know, Mozart did it this way. If it was good enough for Mozart, it's good enough for me.
6: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a royalist all the way. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, and it's great. And... and you know what's incredible is I thought it would just be a lot of little donations, but some of the people did the higher levels that wanted the extra things.
4: Yeah, the ten thousand dollars, the five thousand dollars, the twenty five hundred dollars to be mentioned as an executive producer of the album. How many executive producers do you have now, Jill? At uh, twenty five hundred a pop.
6: You know I have to look, but there's probably like eight, maybe.
4: Wow! Wow! So eight <laughs> or
6: nine, and then then there's the five thousand dollars. Actually, a, is a good deal because you get a house concert.
4: Now, Jill, there are people who will say that you could have made this record in your apartment. You asked for 75000 up front. What was the reasoning for that?
6: Well, two things. One is that it's not just for recording. This is for trying to do the whole record label. Second thing is, yeah, I can do that. But my first two days, I went to Henson Studios with my friend Don Was. We got a really good deal. You know, for a couple of the songs, I had you know, Jim Keltner on drums, and I thought half of it's going to be really minimal, and, and I thought, you know, why not have my friends Ethel, who's a string quartet, on it? Yeah. Why not fantasize and get some of the people, not go overboard?
4: Yeah, it seems like it's a time now to try some of these ideas. Um, I mean, I would take it, Jill, by doing something like this, that you believe that the, the system that you came up through is broken and it's not going to be fixed.
6: Well, you know, even now, when I go to, uh, you know, hire a publicist, who didn't do, you know, spent a lot of money, didn't do that great of a job when I called personally a paper and said, hey, I'm playing in town. Do you mind mentioning it? Somehow that did better.
3: But, Jill, of course, we know you and love you and have written about you through the years. We knew you had a hit with I Kissed a Girl. I mean, if you were just Jill Smith doing this same model on her own, you might not have as much luck.
6: Well, I think this model could work for anyone at various levels if you had 50 fans and you you wanted to do the $5,000 record or if you had more I think it's you know uh, someone I heard the other day someone did the variation on the everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes and everyone's going to be famous for, for 15 people.
3: Excellent well we've been talking to Jill Sobiel. Jill we look forward to hearing your new album.
6: All right thank you guys so much.
3: Greg, that is an incredible song called Hallo Gallo, German for Hullabaloo, by uh, one of my favorite bands and one of yours too, I know, Noi. Yeah, exclamation point, N-E-U, exclamation point, Neu, which was German for new. And they were indeed new. You know, sometimes it's depressing when we have to do too many obituaries one week after another on Sound Opinions. But, uh, you know, the other way of looking at them is that it's a celebration of some great music. And Neu is a band that deserves to be celebrated, especially on the occasion of its uh, co-founder and drummer, Klaus Dinger, dying on March 20th. He was 61 years old. Heart failure was the cause. Klaus Dinger was a co-founder not only of Neu, but of Kraftwerk, along with Ralph Hutter and Florian Schneider in Dusseldorf in Germany. In that fertile period, Germany had its own psychedelic awakening following what was going on in America and London. And, you know, you had great filmmakers, great visual artists, and great musicians coming out of it, and really the roots of electronic music. In the beginning, they had a very flesh-and-blood, drummer Klaus Dinger and at one point Ralph Hooter who really is John Lennon and Paul McCartney of yeah. Kraftwerk he left the band The Kraftwerk continued for a bit with Klaus Dinger and Michael Rother so it was Florian Schneider and those two but they didn't get along when Hooter came back they didn't get along and Dinger and Rother this guitarist and this drummer went off and formed Noy they made three incredible albums up to 1975 that presaged electronic music much as Kraftwerk did a very rock kind of dance beat which I'll talk about in a minute and punk rock that last album Noy 75 they were all called Noy they all had the same cover, yeah. just the word N-E-U <laughs> exclamation point underlined on the cover. One was black, one was white, right? And uh, the last album, they, they had gotten to a point of, of really kind of like public image limited punk rock, 10 uh, years really before that whole post-punk movement. These guys were incredibly influential. You can hear huge echoes of them today in Stereolab. Sonic Youth uh, named a track after them, and many, many other groups. Why? Because of what Dinger did. As a drummer, he was metronomic. He was mechanical. You know, if you've ever been to Germany. There is no speed limit on the Autobahn. And there are these incredibly straight roads that you can drive 110 miles an hour on through the night. And the only visual, you know, besides the green hills in the countryside, the only visual stimulus you have is the white line coming at you. <laughs> Noy is the sound of doing that, of speeding through the German night on the Autobahn with this beat that Dinger called Motorik. In other words, the, the sound of a car. This was the very first track on the very first Neu album. Everything else they did sounded pretty much exactly like this, but it's so great that how could it, you know, I mean, you just have to enjoy all of it that they give you, and, and Baloo is the place to start. Here it is, in German, Hallo Gallo on Sound Opinions. Noy on Sound Opinions, co-founder Klaus Dinger, dead at 61. Special KUT studio at South by Southwest with a guest we've uh, had on the show before, but only to talk with us. Now he's here to play with his brother Tim Fight. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. You've been ruling this town, hosting parties, playing showcase gigs, gearing up for the release of your second proper album on Anti. Fair ain't fair, right? Yep. It's been a
7: good time. Played a whole bunch of new songs, and that's always real exciting because no one's ever heard them before.
3: No, I haven't even heard in advance of the album. Greg hasn't. Um, we're excited about it. And it must be said, before we get any further, very Natalie dressed. After, after three days of partying and
4: playing, <laughs> you are here early in the morning at KUT Studio in a seersucker suit. Gotta look
7: good to feel good.
4: I think Tim is the first uh, guest we've had on the show that's worn a tie, and yeah. not to mention suspenders. I mean, that's a pretty cool look he's got there. And you're with your brother, Greg, who's also wearing a tie. Very cool, Greg. Thanks for being here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Tim. When I say your second proper album for Anti, in between there was a record called Over the Counter Culture, which uh, both Greg and I uh, listed as one of the best of the year last year. and We had you on the show talking about the way you released that as a as a free internet only uh, release. Now you're back on Anti. What what's the difference between the record you gave away for free, an extraordinary album, and this new record coming out, Fair and Fair?
7: Um, over the Counter Culture was straight up political, you know, getting all the garbage out of my heart and all the anger out of my head in the context of the songs, like all, all the different ideas in the songs were against consumerism. There's against the standard ways of putting things out into the world for sale. So it just couldn't be for sale. And uh this new record has those ideas in it but they're more encoded and uh they run under the surface. And I also have a contract with Anti and even <laughs> even though, you know, I like to you know, talk a lot of smack about fighting the system. If you got a contract and you signed
4: it, you got to uphold your end of the bargain. So I did my record. Now, you kind of veered between uh, a number of worlds, uh, Tim. Over-the-counter culture was pretty much of a straight-up hip-hop record. Yeah. And this new record is a little bit more pop-oriented, I take it. Obviously, you feel comfortable in a lot of worlds. You don't consider yourself a straight-up rap artist. You don't consider yourself a, you know, a pop singer-songwriter. When you started conceiving of what you wanted to do as a, as a musical entity, as a musician... What were your role models in terms of, you know, here? oh, yeah, I could do that, or I could pick up that guitar and, and, and do that? Was there any sort of inspiration initially for you? Well, I
7: mean, hip-hop music was the first music I ever liked and, and the first music I ever attempted to have come out of my mouth. But holding a guitar and playing a sad, slow song with my sad, slow fingers is <laughs> a lot more immediate, you know, and I didn't have a computer and and all the equipment to make rap music initially. So the first thing that I really ended up, kind of writing full songs was with just with a guitar and and then i met some folks who had computers and made beats and it kind of grew from there and then after i had all these different things i was able to just say oh well why can't they all be at the same time
3: mm-hmm. well, well tell us about that earlier phase of your career tim where you i mean you had a bona fide mtv hit with shaniqua don't live here no more right or is it just shaniqua
2: Shaniqua's brother, man, can't you just leave me alone? This ain't Shaniqua's house. This ain't her phone, and don't call back again. Cause if you do, you know the answer, man. Shaniqua don't live here no more. Shaniqua don't live here no more. more.
3: I don't know very much (laughs) about that. (laughs) 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 Is uh, so, so. You neither confirm nor deny reports of your earlier hip hop career. True, indeed. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll respect that. Why don't you? uh, Why don't you and Greg play us a song? Sounds good.
5: Say hello to your mom. Say hello to your dad. Say hello to the young and the old. Say hello to the
2: man and the child. Say hello to old father. Say hello. well, wow. sell,
4: great. Uh, Tim, give me a song title. That one is called I Hope You're There. We're going to continue our interview with Tim Fight, as well as hear another live song from him in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
2: The folks in the back today are waiting for us to roll our windows down how they roll, how they roll The wheels on the motorcade Are looking to us to hold our fingers at home How they hold, how they hold
5: Thank mm-hmm. you.
3: Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Let's return to Greg's and my discussion with Tim Fight. Tim Fight refuses to be pigeonholed by any genre. There's folk, there's hip hop, there's rock. His latest record, Fairing Fair, has a distinctly different sound, though, from his previous effort, Over the Counter Culture. But as Greg points out, there's a similarity between the two.
4: The one thing that I think is a unifying force in your music, uh, maybe not sound-wise, but certainly in terms of the content, you want to say something in these songs. It's not just a throwaway, you know, I'm putting music out there and uh, I'm going to write a chorus about the girl next door. I'm going to, I got to say something here. There's stuff I need to say about the world. And underlying that, I I sense, especially with over-the-counter culture... A lot of humor there, but underneath that humor is a real darkness, a real anger. <laughs> when you're writing music, when you're writing songs, is it sort of like a cathartic, I need to say this about the world that I'm living in right now? Is that, is that kind of the attitude that you have coming into songwriting? Yeah,
7: I mean, it, it depends on the world that I'm living in at the moment. Sometimes I'm in the same world that everybody else is in, and Over the Counter Culture was, was that record. It's about the world that everybody else is in. And then Fair and Fair, there's a lot more songs about the worlds that all those other people have a harder time finding sometimes. And, and I'm maybe trying to share that a little bit to get out of this world and escape. Catharsis is one thing, but that, that happens in the real world. Escapism mm. is, the, is, is the other thing. And, and uh, I think you need both in order to get through.
3: It's a different kind of escapism, though, Tim. I mean, it's not like psychedelia, you know tune in, turn on, drop out. You know, you've got roots in, in uh, folk music, in blues. Uh, I mean, you dig deep. Do you, do you listen to stuff like Harry Smith and that stuff? Because there is this kind of... I've always described you as as Beck meets Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, but better. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um,
7: I mean, I, l- I like to listen to a lot of different kinds of music. I always find myself going back to classic 1990s hip-hop and then uh, the more country-folky stuff. I go less to the old, like older, old stuff, and more to like Uncle Tupelo and and the mm-hmm. kind of alt country uh, thing that was going on in the in the '90s. So,
3: what, Why do you think it is that more? I've had this conversation with people like Chuck D and stuff. Why do you think it is that more hip hop artists don't go back to the blues, which is, of course, where it all started? I think that that it is
7: the blues. I mean, if especially if you listen to like a lot of the Dirty South hip hop. Mm that's the blues like and and if you talk to any of the mcs and any of the producers who are making that music they are well aware that like the bridge from blues to crunk is very sturdy you know and and they're yeah. and they're aware of those roots and if you watch a show you know if you see a david banner show and you see what's going on on stage it isn't some shiny hip-hop yeah that you see in the
3: video on stage you're seeing the blues yeah but i was thinking more in Terms of song construction, oh, yeah, um, yeah. the the samples. You know, um, I mean, where how are you putting a tune like that together? Where did the banjo come from in that song we just heard?
7: I can't remember the name of the group that I stole most of that music from. <laughs> um,
3: you mean legally sampled and had cleared by Epitaph? Yeah. There you go. Well, I I stole it and Epitaph <laughs> cleared it. That's the that's you the way stole it works. And they paid for it. <laughs> yeah. they they sweep up. Mom with, came into the store desk. afterwards and made everything good. That's right.
7: Bailed me out. Got me out, out of the security guard's room in the back.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's great stuff. You mentioned that, too, about uh, over-the-counter culture. A lot of those, one of the reasons that you put that record out for free is that you you're basically put that record together in your apartment yeah. and, uh, you know, a lot of samples on that record. And it, it gave you a lot of freedom to create when you really, you know, you're putting free stuff out there. The source material can be anything. You don't have to worry about clearances and stuff like that. It's an amazing tool and and i think that's what one of the most underrated aspects of hip hop is that you know they can use this found material in really creative ways how how did you make this new record was it different in in terms of the approach
7: yeah it started different this time cuz i started with the drums which is kind of a sort of a backwards way for writing songs i i went with a friend of mine who plays the drums to my my old high school and my mom got us in after hours and and they have all these big drums, like the big timpani drums and the big uh, big bass drum for the, the marching band. And, and my friend and me, we, we just thought about drums and how they sound and rhythms and how they sound and, and got a whole bunch of stuff down as drum parts. And then I went and did a lot of just kind of drum arranging and made song structures out of drums and tried to figure out stuff that I could put on top of that. And I had this huge bank, you know, as a hip hop producer, you would have like a big bank of drums, you know, in your keyboard, and your computer, whatever. You you have uh, sample CDs with drum sounds. I made my dream sample CD because wow, I had total control yeah. and I could have drums that don't sound like the drums that, you know, that everybody else has. And, uh, and I kind of started from there. And then I started digging again in the bargain bin and just kind of cutting and pasting things. I got a bunch of different samples from like friends bands, which was a lot mm. of fun to like, you know, people who I know, who I I love their music and they like my music to be able to turn their
3: music into something new. Well, you're uh, you grew up in Jersey, but you're based in Brooklyn now. Any kind of bands that we'd know?
7: There's a band called Constantines that mm-hmm. I sampled from that we mm-hmm. we they were at the showcase that we hosted last night, and they're good friends. And uh, there's a young man from Spain named Remate who who I made friends with over over the internet, and uh, he sent me a CD, and and I got that and uh, I got Cher Warden from My Brightest Diamond Sings on the record with me. So there's a bunch, bunch of different friends.
3: Well, this is one of the only times I wish we were a television show and not a radio show. Uh, because to see you guys live is, uh, is a big part of the experience. Uh, you know, your brother Greg is, is backing you up with some of the computer samples, and you play guitar, and you have visuals that accompany the show. You told me the other day that, that your dream is to actually go out with a real band, a big band. Yeah. And the visuals and everything. Greg, I think he said, You'll still have a job. Don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but something like, I mean, you want to do the whole full on assault, right? I should right? probably
7: say something at this juncture.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, hop in anytime. Stand up for myself. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, my name isn't Greg. Right now I'm going oh, okay. by Dr. Leisure though on stage. Dr. Leisure. And okay. um yeah, the the whole thing about not having a job later will 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 sort itself out and and I think that, <laughs> I think it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but thank you for including me. You bet. I'm sorry. We didn't mean to exclude you. He no, it's talks no a lot. it's cool.
4: It's cool. Yeah. Tim will you and Dr. Leisure do another song for us?
3: Yeah, we'd be happy to.
4: Okay. This
7: one's called Big Mistake. It's off Fair and Fair.
2: See you got and I'll show you one better Show me your reddest rose and I'll show you one better Tell me a dirty joke and I'll laugh it off lightly If you got nothing, but time. I got nothing but time And a lie don't mean nothing If nobody knows when you're lying you lie when you lie. So lie when you do, lie when you don't and Lie when you did and Lie till you lie, 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 lie They're wondering if anybody else is lying Everyone gets to make one big mistake And if you're waiting on me Well, I guess you're gonna have to wait Cause I'm saving mine up For a very, very special day When I could yuck it all up In the most spectacular way One big mistake. And if you're waiting on me, well, I guess you're going to have to wait. And wait, and wait, and wait, and wait. Show you one better. Show me your reddest rose, and I'll show you one redder. Tell me a dirty joke, and I'll laugh it off lightly.
3: What a phenomenal song! Big mistake, uh, Tim
4: Fight and his brother Doctor Leisure on Sound Opinions here. Over the counterculture, you made it available on your website last year. Yeah, did it break your uh, website? It did. I mean, now looking back a year later, was the experiment worth it? Obviously, Radiohead and Nine Inch Nails have ripped you off <laughs> since then. So obviously, they, they were saying this got Tim Fight. Yeah, they on were the really pulse.
7: they were really focused on what I was doing. <laughs> um, no, it was it was cool. Like I didn't expect it to. You know, I thought the six people who, like my music would download it and it would be great but um, the night that we posted it on midnight it was the website crashed before I woke up the next morning because it couldn't handle the traffic and we had to pony up a little extra cash for some bandwidth so that, so that we could make sure everybody got the record so it was a real, really exciting to have that happen like you, you'd think a crash would be like oh that's so sad but it was like yeah we crashed
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know how many people actually downloaded it over the
7: last year you have a sense of that about 20,000? Almost 40? Almost 40,000.
4: So the goal, obviously, is to get your music heard. I mean, that yeah. totally succeeded. Yeah, it's a big, that's a big deal. Well, congrats, Tim, and uh, good luck with this record and this tour. Fair ain't fair.
3: It's uh, been a real treat to have Dr. Leisure and Tim Fight on Sound Opinion. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank. You. Be safe.
2: One more time for the la Three more times for the ba-ba-ba. We wanna, we wanna, we wanna la-la-la times for the yippidi a three more times for the hey 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 wake on uh wake gonna wake on a la 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 even if the notes don't play
4: You're listening to sound opinions Somebody's angry about something. Oh, wow. That is a Swedish metal band called Disfear from their sixth album called Live the Storm, a track called The Cage. Why are we talking about this fear? Why are we talking about Swedish metal? Well, let me tell you. Per capita, Sweden has more great metal bands than any other country in the world. This right. This is now. true. I think we need to go over there and do a show. Oh, it's it's definitely worth exploring. Not the kind of bands you'll hear on the commercial radio charts, but certainly incredibly influential and incredibly loyal followings around the world. I'm talking about bands like Opeth, In Flames, Dark Tranquillity, At the Gates, Meshuggah. These bands have been making very influential records for decades now in Sweden and uh, Disfear is in that lineage. The band formed in 1989, they are now on their sixth album and they're sort of an all-star band in in some ways. The addition of At The Gates vocalist Thomas Lindbergh in 1998 really kicked this band up to a new level. They also at that time acquired a new drummer named Marcus Anderson and the drummer is a key part of this band. Oh yes. Uh, Disfear plays something known as the D-beat which was heavily influenced by a um, band of the late 70s, early 80s out of England called Discharge. And why we're talking about this era of metal, in, in other words, this is an era of metal that bridged metal and punk. You hear Lars Ulrich of Metallica talking about this new wave of British heavy metal, and Discharge was one of those bands. They were faster, harder edged, louder. More in-your-face than any brand of metal ever made up to that point in time. <laughs> and a whole slew of much better-known bands were influenced by this wave of British metal that came out in the late 70s, early 80s. So you had Metallica, Slayer, Testament, Anthrax, bands of this ilk that went on to tremendous popularity being influenced by this sound. And Dysphere, 25, 30 years later, is carrying that sound forward into the 21st century. They still have that punk metal nexus down cold let's hear a little bit of Disfear's new album here's a track called get it off and it's on sound opinions
3: That makes me just so happy. That's a band called Disfear from Sweden. The track is called Get It Off. The album is called Live the Storm. And, Greg, you know, it is music like this. Uh, that Basically, you can take rock criticism down to its simplest elements. Either you live the storm or you don't live the storm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're either the sort of person who's going to enjoy Disfear, who's going to enjoy roller coasters, who's going to enjoy blowing things up with fireworks, or you don't like those things. You know what I mean? I like those things. Would I want to listen to fear 24-7? Would I want to listen to Disphere, like even more than once a month? I- I'm not so sure. But at this day and time, on this rainy day, I needed that more than I needed the pot of coffee this morning. I, I love
4: this album. Buy two copies, one for the car, one for home. That's getting right to the point. The beauty of this album is that you don't need much more than it is. Ten songs, 35 minutes. It's like a Ramones album. You put it on, it's over before you know it. And the first thing you want to do, if you really like this, you just want to play it again and again (laughs) and again. again. (laughs) Too many times may be dangerous. Because sometimes you need that rush, and that rush is there. If you do want to parse the lyrics, I mean, they helpfully provide a lyric sheet. You're not going to figure out what (laughs) Thomas Lindbergh is uh, singing about. He's a very smart guy. He's talking about power structures in the world and how they control our lives without us even knowing about it. But the beauty of this band is that sound. And I think they've never been captured better. One of the reasons I think perhaps that people have not heard of Disfear before this, even though they've been around for nearly 20 years, is that the records have been sort of muddy sounding. They've kind of been more of a word of mouth underground thing. But they worked with this new producer, Kurt Ballew, who was in a band called Converge out of uh, Massachusetts. Mm. And uh, he brought a clarity to that instrumentation, the separation of the guitars and the bass and the drums, it's just this, it's no longer just this mulch, you can hear each instrument, and it is attacking you like four pit bulls, you know, yeah, here's those yeah. two guitars, here's that bass, and here's those drums, and they are just coming at you, so it's a, it's a wonderful, adrenaline-soaked sound. Uh, if you like early motorhead, if you like Aces Spades, if you like that faster, harder, ticked-off nexus of metal and punk Disfear is a band you for buy you. This. Yeah, yeah, right. Buy it, right? Absolutely. Buy it, record.
3: If you have a question or a comment about the show, or you want to chime in about how wonderful Disfear is, call our hotline, 888 859 1800. We'll be back after a short break on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with a review of the new Breeders album. And then it's Greg's turn to add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is a song by the Breeders called Overglazed from their new album, Mountain Battles. Greg, I think we can say that the Breeders have hardly been prolific. Only four albums in 18 years. That's a long time. This is the band led by the Deal twins, Kim and Kelly. Kim Deal, probably better known for being the bass player in the Pixies. The Pixies kind of laid the groundwork for the alternative explosion of the 90s. But the Breeders were the band everybody throughout that decade wanted to sound like, especially after their 1993 hit, Last Splash. For a long time there, six, seven, eight years, every group wanted to sound like that. The sound that was captured by... Chicago's irascible recording engineer Steve Albini, he is back for this new disc, Mountain Battles. It appears as if there will be no new music from the Pixies. So Kim Deal, once again more or less unemployed, goes back to the breeders, goes back to playing with her sister. Have they recovered from those problems that tore them apart in the 90s? Heroin abuse, uh, alcoholism, general lethargy and slackerness. Well... I'll leave that for the next part of the review. There's two covers on this album. One is of the Mexican standard Regalame esta noche, which is in Spanish. They also sing in German on another song. We're gonna play a song called It's the Love. This was originally by a Dayton, Ohio band called The Tasties, kind of an indie underground power pop thing. The deals are from Ohio, makes sense why they're covering them, and I believe that there was a connection with the Amps, one of Kim Deal's other bands. Anyway, here's It's the Love on Sound Opinions by the Breeders. <laughs>
4: That's the love from the new Breeders album, Mountain Battles. That's Kelly Deal taking the lead vocal. Kim sings most of the leads on this record, but that's her twin, Kelly, singing the lead on that particular song. And it's the one song that people who love this band are citing as an example of what this band did so well in the early 90s. Jim, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that a lot of bands took Last Splash, their 1993 album, as sort of a template for what we think of when we think about what did alternative rock sound like. Yeah. And a lot of people gravitate towards that song, Cannonball, mm-hmm. uh, which was everywhere for a couple of years. You and I think what was key about that song, if you listen to what was going on in that song, Kim Deal had this ability to sound slightly out of it, a, a little dazed, a little dizzy feeling in that song. There was this propulsive groove going underneath it, and magically this top forty seventies 70s song appears. This, this yeah. kind of <laughs> melody just sort of drops in your lap, and you go... Wow, that was pretty cool. How did that happen? Yeah. It had sort of an off-the-cuff feel, and yet there was a there was a pop song there. And I think the, one of the appeals of "It's the Love" there's almost this willfully amateurish guitar solo in the middle of it, but it's got a kind of a cool little hook. And the next thing you know, a couple days later, you find yourself singing that song, and and it's sort of in your head. The problem is with this new album, there's just not enough moments like that. No, uh, no, no. She has lost the touch for writing those really insidious hooks. I can think of three or four songs on this album where it's there, and one of the more endearing ones is the duet she sings with Kelly, Here No More, which brings them back to the days when they were singing country songs at truck stops.
0: Creation sings,
4: But the rest of this, the songs on this record with the, with like three or four exceptions, are this arty, drab, hazy. Meandering vibe that has no real hook, no real song structure behind it. Yeah, I, I just I think it's a really difficult album to listen to unless you're a hardcore Breeders fan. No,
3: and there are long stretches where there is no beat, there is no hook, there is no life to this record. I've never understood the appeal of Kim Deal. Pop Matters, which is one of the best webzines out there after Pitchfork, usually a lot of academics write for it. Usually it's very eggheady and kind of high level. The writer who was reviewing the Breeders said, regardless of her smoker's hack or the fact that she colors in her. Gray gray hairs with a black sharpie, Kim Deal remains one of the sexiest women in rock. And it's like there's all these rock lovers out there who have this big crush on on Kim Deal. You know? And it's like, take that as it may, I don't share it. And so I might be missing something about this record, but this is pretty much a dreadful record. It's kind of a mess of amateurism and not very good songwriting. One of the English papers that reviewed it compared it that they used to be alt-rock goddesses, and now they're kind of like mad aunties. <laughs> kind of, you know, staying at home, one of them's now obsessed with knitting, and the other one takes care of her ailing mom, and it's like, well, okay. There's not a lot of spark here. There's not a lot of life here. And, yeah. and I just, I, I got to say it's a trash-it record on the buy-it-burn-it-trash-it
4: scale. I'll give you three songs to burn Overglazed It's the Love Here No More After that I think you can trash the rest
8: I tell you little buddy This whole island is
4: bewitched Just the
0: Island lost sea. Oh, no, I'm on my
5: own. Far from home Come on
8: Do you remember We were shipwrecked together
3: as often as we can on Sound Opinions, Greg or I like to take a turn popping a quarter into the Desert
4: Island jukebox. Mr. Cott, it's yours. Jim, thank you. Kim Deal and Kelly Deal, Dayton, Ohio natives that they are, got me thinking about the great state of Ohio, the Buckeye State. <laughs> uh, back in the 70s, 80s, even in, well into the 90s, flyover country, right, Jim? Yeah. Nobody cared about the great Midwest. Forget about Chicago. If you were an Ohio band, it was very difficult to get any sort of recognition from the major labels. And one of the great bands from Ohio, Cleveland specifically, Perubu from the Mm -hmm. the mid-70s. I loved what this band did in that they created their own scene. They didn't care what anybody else thought. They were going to do their own thing. They were working out of that art rock tradition of Roxy music and the Velvet Underground, creating something what they call the Avant Garage. They used the industrial flats out near the Cuyahoga River as their proving ground, their laboratory for creating the sound of avant-garde music, sort of extending the art rock tradition of Roxy Music and the Velvet Underground, and combining it with this garage rock aesthetic. And their first couple of singles were just amazing. They were distributed locally. They really set a template for for punk and post-punk. Even though the founder of the band, David Thomas. Uh, has disowned punk, says we we had nothing to do with it, we didn't want anything to do with it. We were about progressing the tradition rather than regressing, which he saw punk as. The point being, though, they were willfully doing this on their own. They didn't want anybody else's help. They were creating their own sound, their own aesthetic in an isolated environment, and this isolation made them great. The quirkiness, the eccentricity was being celebrated rather than conforming to what the industry standards of the day were, and that's why these singles are still so unique. Their first double-sided single was amazing. 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, Heart of Darkness in September of 75. Yeah. A few months later, they followed it up with this song, Final Solution. A great example of what Per Ubu was up to in the mid '70s: David Thomas on vocals, Peter Lofner, who basically ended up dying a few years later, on guitar. Dave Taylor, uh, preceding the great Alan Ravenstein, on E.M.L. synthesizer. You can hear the weirdness of that synthesizer all over this song, and a terrific rhythm section of Tim Wright on bass and Scott Krauss on drums. One of the great avant garage singles of the mid '70s: "Final Solution" from Pere Ubu on Sound Opinions. Solution from Per Ubu uh, Per Ubu, Who were guests On the show About a year ago David Thomas In our very studio And in fact In that same studio Next week Jim We will have Ray Davis One of the great Songwriters of all time The Kinks founder Is going to play us Some songs And talk about His new work
3: Now how cool is that Huh We have some Thank yous to say Greg in Texas, Seth Price and Dave Brown at KUT helped us record Tim Fight, and he was mixed by our engineer here, Mary Gaffney. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, with some interning help from Dave Mahler, and our executive producer and fearless leader, Southside Tori Malatia, a man who I don't know—he prefers Meshuga to Disfear. We've been having that fight with him, right?
4: Sound opinions? Everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say.
6: New messages. Hi there, this is Melissa calling from Brooklyn, New York. I discovered you guys when I was living in Chicago, and I've been noticing that you don't do your Desert Island picks every week. And then this week you did on the podcast, and you wound up picking the pixie's Where Is My Mind? Stop. That just shouldn't be a rock critic pick. I mean, I feel like the Desert Island pick is your opportunity to really introduce people to something remote and special and something that they would never, ever come across. And that's just a song that it's kind of like music 101. And I really, really expect a lot more from you guys. Thanks again.
1: My name is Roger Danbury. I'm a truck driver from West Virginia. I think these guys on the radio are just young men. I lived through the disco era. The song they played by Moby just couldn't be compared to some of the great disco songs of the '70s. It was really weak, and I don't know why in the world they're so excited over that song. Hi, my name is John. I live in West Suburban, Chicagoland. Guys, thanks for bringing up the topic of MP3s versus hi-fi. I'm a scientist who went to an engineering school and lived through the hi-fi age. And for me, the MP3s and the iPods are about convenience. I still don't want to abandon my home hi-fi. I mean, when I'm home, if I'm in the car or if I'm doing chores in the kitchen, Portability is where it's at. For me, it's not about abandoning one media for the other, but bringing my music along with me and bringing it more into my life. Keep up the good work, guys. Hey, guys, this is uh, Chris Malanfi from Brooklyn, New York, uh, calling about your most recent podcast about uh, high fidelity and what's become of it. I really appreciate you guys doing a story on this topic, but uh, at the risk of sounding like a compact disc apologist, I think people's opinions of these various formats are getting kind of muddied. I think we can all agree that an MP3 sounds like crap compared to the fidelity we've grown accustomed to over the last 40 years. But dumping on the CD um, doesn't really make sense. I think people are forgetting what fidelity sounded like in the nineteen eighties when the cd came along We weren't listening to 180-gram vinyl. I think you guys hit on it at the end of your story where you talked about, you know, when I was a teenager, I couldn't afford the $5,000 speakers. $5,000 speakers, forget it. Try $500 speakers. What I hate about vinyl snobbery is that it's spreading this gospel that you, Joe American, are going to get a better audio experience just by buying the LP and playing it on your parents' old rec room turntable or the one-piece Emerson plastic job you bought at Sears in 1987. What made the compact disc revolutionary in the 80s was it made achievable, high-quality sound available to the masses. I guarantee you a $50 drugstore disc man offers better sound to the average Joe than the equal-quality turntable they've got collecting dust in their basement right now. Anyway, keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, this is Rick from New York. I really enjoyed your show on Audio Fidelity, but have a beef to pick with you. You chose to introduce the segment with the cars moving in stereo. No matter how relevant those lyrics are to your subject, I must protest. That song already has a claim on it and must only be used to accompany a bikini-clad babe stepping
3: out of a swimming pool in slow motion as seen in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Can't tell me you weren't thinking about that instead of bit rates